Hello, and welcome to Records Search and Rescue, the podcast where we talk about recorded history in records, archives, and collections. I am Madeline Bognar-Banks, and this is our very first episode. I decided to start this podcast because I love to talk about recorded history and how it's understood through records, collections, libraries, archives, you name it, I like it. I have a master's in photographic preservation and collections management from Ryerson University and a master's of information from the University of Toronto. And in uh, both these educational experiences, I've learned so much about the way that we humans record what we wish to be remembered, how we interpret records to say what we want to say, and how we suppress things by not recording them. So I also generally love to talk And I understand information by spitting it out of my face. So hopefully some of you will love to hear the sound of my voice as much as I do. So that's just a little bit about me. And uh, today we're going to talk about passports. So passports are travel documents that often have horrible identification photographs. And they allow us to be identified when traveling from one area of governance to another. I wanted to begin with passports as a topic because I'm moving from Canada to Belgium. But I'm also waiting for verification of my Hungarian citizenship. Um, in order to get a passport to become a part of the EU, so it hits pretty close to home. So without further ado, let's get started with the show. Okay, so as always, we're going to begin with the origins of the record in question and um, talk about what a passport really is. So this document is issued by the governing body of the country or the region that uh, one belongs to. And the earliest mention of a document with these kind of characteristics is in the Bible. So the book of Nehemiah from the Old Testament and um, is what we're going to be talking about first. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes I of Persia, and the mention of the passport-style document is when Nehemiah finds out that the remaining Jews in Judah are in trouble, and he wants to go ask the king permission to go and rebuild it. So in Nehemiah 2, 7, colon 7, uh, he asks the Persian king, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. So the line here is pretty interesting because it identifies the authority of the king extended through such a document as a letter. Uh, That authority is what's going to protect Nehemiah when he's passing through um, this other area and dealing with the authority figures there. So we can see that there's a sense of responsibility put on the king with these documents. Um, It acts as a promise that the king is kind of vouching for this guy. He's standing up for him. Uh, This man is under his protection. And that should that be violated, the king would apparently, presumably, have to do something about it. Um, So this is a fun thing about records, both in ancient civilizations um, and now. There's a legitimacy that comes along with this this random piece of paper because someone of authority has put their stamp on it. Um, Passports are paper now just because they have the chip in them that's like all laminated and and whatever. Um, But there's a great deal of demonstration of power with this because you don't have... If you don't have the piece of paper, you're not going anywhere and you don't have like this legitimate identification of who you are. Um, so it identifies the authority in question, makes you legitimate to another authority that's going to question you. Sort of like my mom talked to your mom and they agreed that I could come over and play. Some other documents resembling a passport were mentioned in uh, Michael's Nylon and Lowe. They have a book uh, that they edited 
called China's Early Empires, uh, a reappraisal, where they talk about the bureaucracy of the Western Han and Qin dynasties. Um, it might be Qin dynasties, Q-I-N, just FYI, because I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Uh, so anyways, they uh, use these do documents in order to um, record the holder's physical appearance, age, and height. So this was in the 221 to 207 BCE area of time, and the Qin dynasty was the first imperial dynasty of China. It was very short but sweet, beginning to imperial tradition in China. They only had two emperors, but they gained a lot of their strength uh, from embracing legalist reforms. So legalism uh, is described by Paul R. Golden in his work Persistent Misconceptions about Chinese legalism uh, as... It means expert of economic affairs or house of administrative methods. Um, and this part of Chinese philosophy was used to create bureaucracy, creating what um, scholar Yuri Pines describes as, as order and security and stability. So after the collapse of the Qin dynasty due to rebellion, there were two rebel leaders in the Chu and Han designations of the area. They fought it out. And the empire was reunified under the Han dynasty. So this is obviously a very short summation of what was going on at the time. Um, if you want to read more about it, I'm going to be posting some sources online. This is generally just to give you the idea of what was going on. So the Qin dynasty was big on the administration. And this is the main thing that I want to focus on because there's a level of power that was gained at the outset of the imperialist tradition in China that was down to procedures that were outlined and put into effect through the use of records and documents. And the passport type of document was one of these. So these were called Zhuhan, which I'm also probably saying wrong. I'm going to spell it out Z-H-U-A-N. And uh, but I looked up the translation online, and some definitions uh, were saying for a particular person or to revolve. Um, also a biography, so that kind of works out. These these definitions kind of fit. Uh, these documents were apparently also required for children as well as adults, so they wanted it for everybody. They needed them to pass through control points of different jurisdic jurisdictions in the empire. The control points really iterate how power was communicated through the systematized use of documentation um, for tracking who you were, what you were, where you were, when. Um, so I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about people who didn't give their children a name until they were three. And they only gave the name because of the need to get a passport, which I personally think is just wild because the record forced them to identify their child. Um, this made me think of Arya Stark and Game of Thrones. Spoiler alert, I'm going to talk about Game of Thrones, so something small might be ruined for you. Sorry about it. Um, she was no one in Braavos, and then she decided to be Arya again, and then traveled back to Westeros, but they didn't seem to have any any sort of records for her going across the first time, so it didn't really matter. But I was just interested in like how the faceless men really get around. They don't have an identity. Uh, I guess they could just pretend to be somebody else, but... You know, their record keepers were just old men with big necklaces wearing no pants. So you can't really expect a lot. Anyway, so I just want to take a moment in between talking about the Chinese uh, before I move on to Henry V to talk about the Athenians and their creation of democracy, which led to many of the state structures that formed as well as the Romans, who outlined the idea of legal rights for citizens. Uh, I want to do this because the passport eventually moved to act as a document that links a person to their state. 
and provides a proof of citizenship to a certain country or area. This idea of multiple citizenship becomes a little problematic later on. Uh, I just want to throw this in there and just before we talk about Hank V, um, to just ground ground where we are and um, that connection between an individual and the state and, and these kinds of documents. So anyway, 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 moving on from the Chinese, we're going to talk about Henry V. So some people might know him from the Shakespearean play or from general British history knowingness. Uh, this fifth of the Henrys is credited with the historical invention of the passport that resembles the document that we use today, um, mainly by calling it that. The etymology of the word is French. Um, although this is kind of debated online, uh, it's kind of obvious. Passport passing through the ports. I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like there's too much of an argument there, but whatever. If you feel differently, let me know. Uh, there's a lot more boat travel at the time as well. So one could see why the ports were really important to that. So anyways, uh, Hank V, he's born in 1387 and reigned from 1413 to 22, 1422, that is. Uh, he's, he's described as kind of a warrior guy, um, He's sort of towards the end of the Hundred Years' War. Uh, in the Shakespearean play, uh, he focuses on the Battle of Agincourt in 1415, uh, obviously with some dramatic interpretation, but he's sort of rivaled, he's sort of rambunctious. play depicts him as in his youth, and it's got some pretty funny funny parts. Um, got a Falstaff eulogy in there. So, oh, it's worth a read. Uh, so he issued passports to anyone. They didn't have to just be English. They were There were some foreign nationals that got them for free, even. And these had similar concepts behind them to the biblical documents, where they were putting the holder under the protection of the king. Uh, well, the Chinese documents seemed to focus more... It was less... It, was a, it did connect you to your d- jurisdiction, but I feel like it was a lot more about control rather than being protected by your sort of ruler. Uh, this could be, because of the way they're described, Nehemiah is talking directly to the king, and I would assume he would want to appeal to his sense of his own authority. Um, Henry V is uh, obviously extending his authority to his people, to anyone, but he's like allowing them to be identified by him. Um, so I think there's something to be said about that. Uh, there's a great piece about photographs of surveillance by John Tagg in uh, The Burden of Representation, Essays on Photographies and Histories. Um, and it's super interesting because it talks about identifying people with photographs and ID cards, prison photography, all that kind of stuff. So how certain parameters are set for the image. Sometimes they would hold people's place, faces in place, face in place, and um, just to be able to try and identify them through this. So it's crazy, you guys. It's just crazy. So now we're going to just take a little break. So some other fun historical passport tidbits um, are that the monarch themselves usually does not have a passport. So the big Q, Queenie, she doesn't need to state that she's under her own protection. She doesn't need a passport. But 
uh, someone like Prince Charles, Prince Philip, um, you know, William, Kate Middleton, they need passports, which I think is great. Um, especially after watching the crown and you see Philip sort of struggling for power and it's just sort of another way to, to have his wife's power stick it to him. Um, so another, uh, fun little passport fact is that, uh, Oliver Cromwell, uh, infamous bad guy, uh, he had kind of a prototype idea of the no-fly list, and this is held by the British National Archives, and you can check it out online, um, on their online uh, archives. And they, it has a quote, a decree that says, no pass shall be given to any citizen who shall be aiding, assisting, advising, or counseling against the Commonwealth. Um, so we can see he had, he definitely had a thesaurus for that one. Um, the oldest British passport in existence is from 1641 and was discovered in Sunderland, belonging to a Captain Bradshaw, and it was signed by Charles I. Um, and it gave the Cap his wife and his servants passage to travel the ocean on behalf of the king. So, so it's not just for one person, it was for like a whole household. Um, but it's nice that we can all have our own passports now. Um, the man with the most tattoos in the world was turned down for a passport because they, uh, he couldn't apply even because his whole face was covered uh, with his inky expressions. So that was also very funny. Um, they were actually abolished in France in 1860. Well, not in 18, within the period of time in the 1860s uh, because France just couldn't give a shit enough to check everybody's identity at the railroads. There were a lot of railroads going all over Europe. Many other countries followed suit. Uh, and the document made its glorious comeback um, in World War One because every country wanted to track the movements of everyone in order to detect spies like Julia Child. She was in World War Two, but you get the idea. Um, international standardization of the passport came about in 1920 and water paper began being used in the 60s 1960s for added security so we've gone digital now um we have biometric passports which is what i was talking about earlier with the the chip thing um so it stores your information on a wee little chip and that's encrypted with a key being on the passport itself but there are a lot of um tech savvy little busy bees that I've created a passport reader that can crack this encryption. Um, so people will find a way to get your information after all. So data safety is like the big issue of the day, but that's a, a horse of a different color. Anyways, briefly, I'm going to uh, discuss passports and citizenship. So citizen citizenship, if I can ever say it, is when you have the official status of being a citizen, a member, um, and have all the rights that accompany that, a member of any sort of governmental jurisdiction. So I am a citizen of Canada. Um, means I sort of am a Canadian, I belong to Canada in a certain sense, and I have all the rights that accompany that, but also must participate in, you know, uh, things like taxes, etc. So... A passport can usually only be issued to a citizen, uh, but non-citizen passports have special legal parameters. So, for example, in Latvia and Estonia, uh, individuals who have families living in the area since Soviet times are entitled to a non-citizen passport, even if they weren't necessarily um, born there. Uh, these are mostly people of Ukrainian and Russian eth ethnicity. 
Um, in American Samoa, they uh, are given U.S. nationality but not citizenship, which is a little tr- tricky. So U.S. non-citizen nationals can still get a passport, but it will have a large aggressive endorsement saying that they aren't a citizen, they're only a national. It seems like it's rubbing it in a little bit. Um, the Brits have six variants uh, to their nationality, but only citizenship allows for persons to live in Old Blighty. Uh, in Andorra, and that's that wee country between um, Spain and France. So it allows provisional pra- passports for children born in the country, um, and they haven't made it to year 10 of living there, but they um, have to confirm who they are to the government by the age of 18. So there are a lot of other documents, a lot of other records that I'm sure you've had to rifle through of your own in your lifetime. <laughs> so... These include things like birth certificates and um, other things like that, permanent residence, citizenship, stuff like that. Um, so it can be a really big struggle for a lot of people. Some countries don't allow you to have dual citizenship, and um, you got to decide. The World Population Review lists these countries on their website, which will be provided on the bib that I'm going to post um, on both their Podbean page as well as Patreon. Uh, the World Atlas lists countries that do not allow dual citizenship, including European countries like Ukraine, Slovakia, Russia, Belarus, many African countries like Djibouti and Botswana, Ethiopia, as well as Asian countries including Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Thailand, and some of the Pacific Islands like the Solomon Islands and Tonga. So these are all sort of interesting to look through, see who's who's letting you play with others and who isn't. Um, There's some special passport-like documents that allow for travel in certain circumstances, such as a laissez-passe, which is kind of an emergency passport issued by national governing bodies, usually for officials and humanitarian reasons of travel. And there are certificates of identity, which is sometimes referred to as an alien's passport, which is given if you are a stateless person or a non-citizen. So these, there are some passports... uh, issue for the pilgrimage to Mecca and re-entry permits and Chinese travel documents, which are in lieu of a passport. Um, so let's talk about the stateless people. What's that about? Uh, a stateless person is a person who is not considered a national by anyone. Sometimes these people are refugees um, and have sort of not been given citizenship because of uh, discriminatory reasons. Um, so there are around 12 million stateless people in the world. This can happen if they don't fit legal requirements for citizenship. Again, if they're being discriminated against because of ethnicity or gender or there's some administration thing that's getting in their way, people can renounce their citizenship. A really fun record that I stumbled across um, was Albert Einstein's renunciation of his German citizenship. Now, the record was not that particular renunciation, but he wrote... um, letters to his sister Maya Winteller with his wife Elsa. Um, so then he wrote these letters, docked in Antwerp in Belgium, and renounced his citizenship officially. So you can find digital images of the letter online. Um, and then that's uh, from the the desk of the board of the SS Belgian Land, um, which sounds like an excellent boat. 
Just an excellent boat. And uh, you can see the pencil annotation of the 1933, question mark, in the top corner of uh, whoever found this record, whoever's dealing with it. looks very archival. Uh, in the letter, they write of their concerns for Einstein's, Einstein's uh, state. They're, they're saying um, all of their friends have either fled or they're in jail. Uh, he tells his sister to move to America and discusses his effort to help German Jews moving to America as well. And there's another um, letter that came out or that he wrote in 1938, and he further discusses his efforts to assist uh, Jews in Europe um, and anyone who is trying to flee German-held countries. So he used his own money to assist these efforts. And these records were auctioned off by Nate D. Sanders' auction house in Los Angeles. Um, now, you can take a look at more of Einstein's records if you're interested in pursuing this further um, on the Digital Einstein Collection, which is presented by Princeton University Press, I think. And um, it's a it's a great digital collection that um, is public domain and, and shows off his papers and col uh, his collected papers and his letters. And it was bugged out. begun in 2014. So take a quick look at that. It's really awesome. Um, one can see that he renounced his citizenship to like put space between himself and Germany because of what was going on there. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, so it definitely aligns an individual with the state and all of the things that the state stands for. Um, and so he kind of wanted to throw it out the window. And who can really blame him? Um, the passport is one of the foremost documents that demonstrates the relationship to the state in question and uh, just symbolizes a great deal where we come from and who we are in many situations. So that's also very interesting. All right, so we're going to move on to my concluding thoughts. Um, and what I have to say is that passports are an extremely powerful and important document. An offshoot of this kind of document is obviously the visa, which my husband is currently dealing with because we meet, we're going to study abroad. He's studying abroad and I'm going with him. So the visa also does um, a little bit of a dance with citizenship as it follows. Um, it allows for certain rights to come that come with citizenship, but not all of them. So if you have a visa, sometimes you can work, but sometimes you can't. Um, currently, my husband has is going to get a student visa and that does not allow you to work in Belgium, which is interesting. Um, these records not only give us the ability to move or not move from place to place, but as a form of ide identification, that's like official. I would be very interested to be in a policy meeting where there are the criteria for these documents are being determined. Um, uh, just a second ago, I was talking to the Belgian student visa, um, but you need to prove that you are solvent. So you need to be able to pay for yourself. You need to be able to have a place to live. They don't want any bums. You need to have like a 40 page document that you're sending and it's wild and you got to pay up. The Hungarian process was um, interesting. My father's citizenship had to be verified first. Then they needed proof of my parents' marriage through a Canadian provincial official documentation, not just 
um, records signed by the church. So it needs to be um, government approved, I guess. Um, so it was interesting. You had the full uh, marriage registration that was from the church, and it had province of Quebec stamps on it, but because it wasn't the actual letterhead of the province of Quebec, um, we had to get a new one. And it was just goes to show you that one piece of paper can be valued a lot more than another. Uh, for Belgian citizenship, it doesn't really matter how long you've been there. You just need to prove that you're a useful person to society. Um, it's just pretty fair, but also like very subjective. So who knows? Anyways, um, again, I would love to be at a policy and procedures meeting. And I wonder how often they're scheduled to review criteria, how often they update these things, um, and how they would gather information about what the people of the country need and who's coming in and, and what would they need to change. So that's just me. Um, if you have any questions, requests, or comments, please email at recordssearchandrescue at gmail.com. You can also be found under Records Search and Rescue on Patreon and on Podbean. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking t- at you again soon. And remember, if life gives you lemons, write it down. Someone will probably ask you about it later. Mm-hmm.